0: The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. want to start this morning with an old saying you've heard a million times, and I'm going to guess that you have never just openly disagreed with it when you've heard it, but I'm also going to guess that maybe you've never truly believed it either. The saying is this, money can't buy happiness. You've heard that one, right? A lot of times. You've probably never just Abjectly disagreed with it, but answer this: Do you think you'd be happier if you had an extra hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, million dollars? I mean, this is church. Be honest. If you're honest, answer to that question is: Yeah, I think I'd be happier if I had the extra money. Then. You don't believe the statement, money can't buy happiness. I think we should believe it. It's hard to believe. I think we should believe it. And you don't have to take my word for it. And you don't have to even take the Bible's word for it, though Jesus will certainly speak to that this morning. I know of, I'm familiar with two um, well-done, well-researched studies Uh, that speak to the correlation, the links between income and happiness. Um, One is ancient history. It was clear back when I was in school. But there's a more recent one. Two Princeton professors, a professor of economics named Alan Kruger and a professor of psychology um, named Daniel Kahneman. He's a Nobel laureate, too, by the way. They led a study about this link or the perceived links between income and happiness. They found that almost... Here some of their findings. First, they found that almost everyone believes they would be happier if they had more money, which means no one believes that money can't buy happiness. Um, and, And people tend to believe that those with more money than them are happier. But, and this is their words now, that is mostly an illusion. According to their study, people with higher incomes say, uh, they do report barely negligibly. They, they say they are happier than people with lower incomes, but listen to this. They score themselves as being much more tense, and they spend less time... Um, in, in, in activities that are particularly enjoyable. They say it this way, they do not spend more time in particularly enjoyable activities. So according to that study, led by two Princeton researchers, here's what money buys us, tension, busyness, and less time doing stuff we actually like. So while it's easy to feel like my current financial situation is what makes me unhappy, anxious, grouchy, and sad, the reality is, even if I came into a a great deal more money suddenly, after a a relatively brief bump of excitement, my unhappy, grouchy, sad anxiety would return. Because it would still be me with the extra money. Today's very famous passage from the Sermon on the Mount is, is where Jesus sort of goes to work on this very common notion that if I had more money, I would be happy, that money can make me happy. Jesus knows that this is a common stumbling block, a common idol, a common empty pursuit, having more money. Jesus wants what's best for us, and he knows that money can 't hold our hope now, before I dive into the passage, I think it 's important to know that Jesus does not criticize having more money than other people jesus doesn 't criticize earning more money than you currently have as long as that is done in a legitimate manner in fact we won 't but we could go into the book of Luke chapter eight and where we would learn that that Jesus accepted money, his ministry, and that of the disciples was was funded by people who had above-average incomes. They provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their own resources. Luke 8, 3. Joseph of Arimathea is the guy who, who took Jesus' body from the cross, and, and he's remembered fondly. That's whose tomb Jesus was buried in. He was, he was very rich. He's remembered fondly. There was a woman named... Uh, oh, the purple traitor. Help me out, I lost her name. in the By Philippi, there's a woman... Who Lydia thank you, whoever thank you, whoever that was. Woof, man, if I get stuck again, help me out. Um, Lydia was very important to paul 's ministry. she was a wealthy businesswoman and she was important to the early church. Having money is not wrong. it is not wrong to have here 's a, here's a quote Rachel and I have run into several times over the last couple of months I've, i 've tried to look and find who to attribute this to, but i can 't find it. Lots of people have written it. It is not wrong to have things. But it's wrong when things have you. It's not wrong to have money. It's wrong when money has you. When it becomes what drives you. What you focus on. And there's often a very fine line between having it, working at a job or career that provides it, and living for it, and asking it to do for us what it's not qualified to do to give us hope and purpose and identity. Here's another way I know there's no link, there's no correlation between money and happiness because I have an office. (laughs) And the people who come into my office and pastor's offices all across the country and counselors and psychiatrists' office all across the country, they come in with the same problems the same issues, and they come from all across the financial spectrum. Uh, this is a very famous passage. It's pointed. This one might hit you where you live, so to speak, a little bit. Jesus, I think it can be summarized in three questions. Jesus is going to ask you, and I'll show you in a minute. He asks you. He's going to ask you three questions today. This is our sermon outline this morning. This passage asks of us three things. First, where is your treasure? Second, what are you looking for? And third, who or what do you serve? And those will be on the screen throughout the sermon. So, where is your treasure? What are you looking for? Who or what do you serve? First question, I think, shows up in verses 19 through 21 where Jesus asks, where is your treasure? We've read it before. I want to I read it again. Jesus says, verse 19, Do not accumulate or store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. Again, Jesus doesn't say it's wrong even to accumulate money on earth. Jesus does not say if you have a savings account or you have investments that you are wrong. In fact, Later in this book, Jesus is going to use a man who invests financially as an example of the wise person. Um, The book of Proverbs clearly lays out it is wise to spend less than you earn and have savings. Uh, Steady plodding brings prosperity. And that's not a sinful thing, it's a wise thing. But who's it for? Jesus says, verse 19 again, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth. The risk, I'll use a personal example here. Rachel and I, we have a cash savings account, and we have uh, a retirement account. Okay? And we fund both of those things. I don't think we're in sin that's accumulating treasure on earth. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. It is. Right? Who's it for? What's it for? That same accumulation can be, depending upon our hearts toward it, that same accumula- accumulation can be sinful or blessing. It can be bad or good. Here's how. If we have a retirement account, because I want to get to the point where someday I can stop doing stuff for all you people and other people and I can go on this permanent vacation. Like I live my life right now just one vacation to the next where I can go and lounge and be served and not have to do anything. Right? And, and I hope that someday I have enough money where that's my entire life. I mean, that is by definition storing up treasure for yourselves. Now that same money... Here's what our hearts, when we tune our hearts to the Lord. I can tell you our plan. Here's my desire. It's my first pastorate. I hope it's my last. But I'm going to get old, and someday it's not going to be good for this church for me to still be up here. Right? Before we get to that point, Here's what I would love to happen. I'd love to help hire, look for, maybe even train the guy who's going to stand in this pulpit after me. You know what, was really, what would really harm that process? If you, you know, you still have to pay me and support me and my, fam, my wife because we haven't been wise financially. Right? What I hope is... I can help you pay that guy. I can help us pay that guy. Uh, I want to be free to where I can still serve the Lord, serve other people, but you don't have to pay me full time because there's somebody else who will need that money. Does that make sense? Um, man, I, I didn't have this in my notes. Very proud of my dad. Glad he's not here because i would never told this story, but... My dad uh, is finally doing ministry. He's the junior high youth group leader at at the church where I grew up. It is 70s. Um, And a kid that I went to high school with who was even wilder than I was, which was bad, um, his son is is coming to youth group. He, He got got saved and he learned that he was supposed to be baptized, that the, that the Lord commanded That's what he are supposed to do. So they set that up and plans were made and he was going to invite his family and then they told him about it. He goes, whoa, whoa, way in church, what do you mean that Pastor Cliff is going to be baptizing me? Well, you know, Pastor does our baptisms. He said, no, no, no. I want I want Tom to baptize me. That's my dad. He, he's, the, he's the reason I came came to know uh, Jesus, that's, that's my daddy in his retirement. Um, wise financially, it's Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, veterans. Uh, you're still paying him because he's retired uh, Air Force, but he's using that to to serve the Lord. I'm really proud of him for that. Anyway, that was extra. Where was I? Um, all right, so it's not... It's, storing up treasure for yourself is not what Jesus wants, it's also not smart according to this passage. You know why? Because everything we store up for ourselves on this earth is kindling and worm food. It's extremely temporary. It's going to burn up and go away. And if you are a Christian and you live for all of eternity, that stuff we spend on ourselves, a lot of it we're going to be like, holy moly, that was short-sighted of me. Here's a, here's a really simple phrase I want you to always remember. Life is short, eternity is long. And Jesus gives us an incredible, he lays out an incredible opportunity here. A verse that changed Rachel and I's perspective in life. Psalm 24 begins like this. The earth is the Lord's and and everything in it. Or the fullness thereof. Everything. Everything is God's. Everything. That means my money that I worked hard for and I earned. Ain't mine. You know the work ethic and the self-discipline I used. That wasn't mine either. That was given to me. We've been entrusted with what we have. God gives what is his to us. As his managers, and we decide what to do with it. And then Jesus gives us, lays out this incredible opportunity. So, if none of my money is mine, I can take what's not mine anyway, give it away like he would want me to, and he gives me something that will be mine for all of eternity. You catch that? There's a command in verse 20 accumulate for yourself treasures in heaven. Do it. How? Take what's not yours anyway, do what you can't keep, glorify the Lord with it. And I will give you something that I consider to be treasure, that's eternal. You think about it, it's, it's quite an opportunity. Right? I mean, we do invest some of the money that you give us from our salary. I'd much rather invest your money and get to keep it. Right? Get to what's not even mine. Put it someplace and then get it later. That's this, this principle in here. This is why John Wesley, the great hymn writer, said our financial question is not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself. It's not how much of my money will I give to God, or how much can I give away and write it off? It's how much of God's money will I keep for myself? It's what Paul, Paul under, apparently knew of this teaching of Jesus. He writes to Timothy, a young pastor, in First Timothy 6. Hey, Timothy, command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to, to think they're, they're greater than people who don't have as much Tell them not to set their hope on riches, which are uncertain, but set their hope on God, who richly provides us with all things, and don't miss this, for our enjoyment. God does give us material things so we can enjoy stuff. Verse 18. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. Verse 19, in this way they will save up a treasure for themselves. Does that sound familiar? As a firm foundation for the future and so lay a hold of what is truly life. Very clearly in the New Testament, uh, Peter tells us we have, because we're, if we're believers in Jesus, if we're redeemed by Him, we have an inheritance laid up, stored up in heaven. It's like it's already there. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, Peter said. Amen? And clearly the New Testament teaches somehow we can add to this investment that's already there. And for today's passage, we just, the way to do that is Take what's not even mine, what I cannot keep, and give it away to get something I cannot lose. Hear that? That's Jim Elliot, right? He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Um, so here's how we view money. This is God's money, all of it. God does not want me to be irresponsible. God does not want me to be unwise. God does not want me, I'm convinced, to be a burden to our children someday or to my church. Sometimes that happens. But as far as it's up to us, it's wise to be better financially. But in the meantime, we make decisions like this. God, this is your money. Is this something you would want to spend your money on? And how that is done can either just be, it can just be sort of short-term, it's over and done. It may not be sinful. Or it can be, there's another option. It can buy something for us eternally. Um, it doesn't have to be sinful. We just bought, another personal example, we just bought a new furnace for our house. I am under no illusion that I did that for anyone but us. I did not buy our new furnace for you. Sorry, if you come over and it's warm, you can enjoy it too. But God, now, because we live in God's house, it's not our house, it's God's house. We live in God's house, and it's warm in there now. And he gave us that to enjoy. And I don't think he's sore at us for buying a new furnace. If I had to do it over again, I'd buy it again. But there's no eternal, I mean, it's just, that's something we can enjoy. And I think he's fine with that purpose. But we still assess the purchase. God, are you okay spending your money so that like we don't freeze to death? You are? Okay. (laughs) And now maybe my next purchase, I run that through that same filter. Um, All right. Gotta move on. I've been on that probably probably too long. Uh, Verse 21, last thing. Four. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what God wants right now? Your heart. Which means your will. He just taught us to pray at the what we call the Lord's Prayer. right, We're supposed to be about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I have to give my will to the Lord, my heart to the Lord. He wants that. It's how he does his work in this world. It's through people who give him his will. But Jesus says... Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And quick Greek lesson. You see how your is in all caps? I just typed that. That's not from the Bible. I did that. Stick it out. To make these stick out. Jesus suddenly switches in the Greek. These are singular use. He's been saying, do not accumulate all y'all. Do not accumulate for all y'all selves treasures on earth. Accumulate for all y'all, accumulate treasures in heaven but then in verse 21 he says but now I'm talking to you singular you where your treasure is that's where your heart's going to be I want your heart but if your heart if your treasure your heart will follow the money if your treasures on this in this earth I won't have your heart because it'll follow the money It is a very helpful exercise. Maybe at the end of the year here, look back through your bank accounts. It will show you where your heart is. It just will. It's not always that much fun to do. But are there there kingdom investments? First question, Jesus asks, where is your treasure? It may be time to change investment strategies to something that's a little longer term than this blip that we are here. Where's your treasure? Second question. What are you looking for? Or maybe, what are you looking forward to? What do you desire? On what is your focus? Jesus asked this in verses 22 and 23. This is the only part of the passage that's maybe a little confusing or hard to understand what he's saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. If then the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, if even the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Okay, here's what Jesus is teaching in these two verses. Whatever your eye, you allow your eyes to get focused on will affect the rest of you. Healthy desires help lead to a healthy life, body, spirit, soul. Unhealthy desires can darken your soul. Now, you know what, among other things, those two verses teach us? You don't even have to have the treasures accumulated for them to be controlling your heart. If you listen through the first slide and thought, well, thank goodness, because I'm not rich. First of all, yes, you are. If you've got indoor plumbing and your floor is not dirt, and you drive a, if you have a vehicle, you are wealthy from a worldwide perspective. But even if you don't have, you know, what you consider masses of treasure accumulated, this verse says you just have to have your eyes on it to let the darkness in. You just, have to, you just have to buy that lie from the, from the Princeton study that says, if I only had more, that's what would make me content and happy and I wouldn't have this anxiety, and, right? That's what lets the, uh, remember, you know, the, the, the misquoted verse. It's not, money is not the root of all evil. What is it? It's the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. That's what this says. Jesus, what's your eye on? What are you focused on? Is it treasures on earth, treasures in heaven? I just have to believe the illusion is true to let that darkness in my life. You know, I think it's very possible today. some of us need to start to, to kind of let some light back in our hearts Start telling our hearts, identifying things we have our eyes on, our focus on. That if I just had this, this is what would make me feel better. This is what would make me content. To Start telling our hearts, that won't work. When Jesus said, even the light in you becomes darkness. You know what that is? You know how I said I could have a retirement account and the same money can be either good or bad? It's very possible that what we thought was our greatest blessing... The new job with the more money and the more income winds up being our greatest trial and a stumbling block. And that is, how do we see it? What's it for? What's our focus? When we're asking something to do, what only God can do for us, Jesus says, how great is the darkness that can be painted on our hearts? All right, third question. Who or what do you serve? Verse 24. Jesus is so smart. Best preacher that ever lived. Man, do I admire his preaching. Um, You know, in court, a lawyer is supposed to uh, take away somebody's arguments before they can even bring them up. Jesus is the master at that. And I think he does that in verse 24. Because a sermon like this, and I mean Jesus is not mine. Um, what it's pointed and direct like this, it can either bring self-reflection and some conviction, or it can bring the excuses. And one really possible excuse to this whole where are you storing up treasures, what are you focused on? One very probable counter argument would be, hey, whoa, well, whoa, well, well, I can do both. So I can, I can be, I can be all about. Making more, making more money, getting ahead, career focus, career driven. I can do that and still be a Christian. And listen, having money does not make you not a Christian. Jesus wants, just wants to make sure that that money doesn't have us, it doesn't master us, and that's really easy. Verse 24, he says this. No one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now there's something that's so hard to understand in there that doesn't compute mentally that it can make us want to like drop back and punt this verse. Because you read that and you go, wait, I have to hate money? If I don't hate money, that means I don't love God? Isn't that kind of what it sounds like? It says, because even Jesus didn't hate money. He, he took money for their ministry. Um, all right, don't let the, the hate love thing suck your focus to where you miss the main point. The main point is really clear. He says it twice once at the beginning, once at the end. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Then at the end, he says, You cannot serve God and money. There's the main point. You can't serve two masters. You, and those two masters are what? God and money. You can't serve both. You will serve something. Jesus, you can't walk that line where you serve both of those things. And the picture he creates to help us understand that, help his original audience understand that, is this one. Uh, you can't be a slave of both God and money. In his in his original audience's mind, they would have pictured in the Roman world, a slave in the Roman world that had two masters. Did that happen? No, that's ridiculous. Think about this. Say, I'm a slave, I got myself in debt, and so I am enslaved myself to two different guys. All right, one master over here, one master over here. How's that going to work out? What's going to happen the day he tells me to spend my day doing this, and that one tells me to spend my day doing that? You know what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to find out who the real boss is. We're going to find out who really is my master, who I really want to serve, who I will really please. That's what, and you know what? If I do this, this guy's going to say, oh, that, that master really loves me and hates that bozo. But that one over there is going to say, oh, he hates me and he loves him. The love-hate thing is a rhetorical device so that Jesus can clearly let us know, you, this is a line we can't walk. When we get to the point of decision, we'll figure out who the real boss is. Because listen, if God be my master, if he be my Lord, which is what master, another word for master, he will have the audacity to ask me to do things with his money that will hurt the bottom line of how much of his money I have. That's a promise. But when I've spent my life uh, driving to get more money for myself, I'm going to find out who the real boss is. Jesus, by the way, he got singular again here. Very suddenly, this isn't all y'all, the church in general. He's talking to you, singular. You can't do this. Where's your treasure? What are you looking for? Where's your focus? What do you serve? Where my treasure is will largely control my focus and what I serve. Where do I want treasure stored up? That's sort of the key. It'll control the other two. Because if my treasure is on earth, my focus will be on earth, and I will serve what Jesus said. Mammon is what Jesus said we can't serve, which is not just money. It's assets, property, and the things money can get me. And if I, if I want to know where my treasure is, Boy, I just need to look through my financial statements. I know I'm being pointed. I'm being blunt. Um, and believe me when I say this, I don't want to offend you. I don't. I do not want you walking out of here saying, you know, I don't like what Pastor Matt was saying. You know, how dare he insinuate this or that. I don't want to offend you, but Listen. This is a plain passage. I want you to get it out on your own and just read through it and see if I was inaccurate or if this is what Jesus was saying. I don't want to offend you, but if the Holy Spirit who lives in you is trying to offend you today, let him do his good work, my friend. I am not trying to guilt you in to anything. I don't work on commission Right? I don't get a cut. We're not going to pass the plates again. Right? I'm not going to have some gold spinners on old blue if you guys change your, change your ways. Okay? And this isn't me ultimately saying this to you. It's Jesus. And you know why he said it? It's not because he needs more money. You know why? It's all his anyway. Do you know why he's saying this? Because he loves you. And he wants your heart and he knows what his biggest rival is in many of our hearts. And it's stuff that cannot do for you what he can do. He knows he came from eternity past. He knows how long it is and how awesome it is. And he doesn't want you to squander your opportunity for something he wants to give you in your real home. I would be derelict in my duties if I softened the blow of what Jesus hits us with this morning and it's hard and it hurts. But I don't bring it because I don't I don't bring it because I don't love you. I do. And Jesus didn't teach it because he doesn't love us because he went to the cross to prove that he does. If he be the treasure we seek. Uh, if he be our focus, then our, our light becomes life. Maybe some of that stuff that's been darkness for a long time becomes becomes light. That he be glorified. In that uh, I have our musicians come up and we will we'll close, but pray with me. Uh, Father God. Um, once again Lord you've hit us with a passage that probably none of us in here don't struggle with at times where we get our eyes on things in this earth we get our focus on earthly treasure we buy that lie that says I'd be happy if I had more of what I already have Reshape and reprioritize our investment strategies. That our, our treasure might be in heaven undefiled, where it won't spoil, it won't fade. It's locked away in heaven for us and you have won it for us. God, help us to see all that we have is yours. That we might give away what was never ours, glorify you with what was never ours, that unending grace we believe you will lay up for us for us treasures eternal we love you Lord you are a treasure in Jesus name amen stand and sing with us